This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. So, Bree, I remember this one time I was in a bike race around Tucson, and uh, I wasn't paying attention. We were riding down 4th Avenue, and there's railroad tracks, like street track tracks, and my bike's tire like went and wedged in to the railroad tracks, no. and I totally fell down and just like skinned my hands, everything. Ugh. I had nothing with me, nothing at all. And it's that times where you want a first aid product and you have nothing. And <laughs> active skin repair utilizes a molecule called hypochlorous acid. When applied to the skin, the molecule works by mimicking the natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. I've used it on my son's mosquito bites, and I wish I would have had it the time I totally scraped up my hands. Oh, I hear you. Like whenever I go paddleboarding, kayaking, I'm always trying to find something that is like an all-in-one that I can take with me. And active skin repair could be used like that. It can be used to treat cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, and other types of skin damage. It's also safe and non-toxic, which makes it suitable for all skin types, all parts of the body, like eczema and acne-prone skin, all of that. With over 500,000 happy customers, thousands of five-star reviews, and ingredients so safe and clean they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest, you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order. Use code NOGUILT. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom podcast. I am your host, Joanne Crone, here with my co-host, the purple-haired Brie Tucker. <laughs> Why, hello, hello, buddy. How are you? It's purple Fuchsia. and teal. I, I always have something to talk about because I could just go to the color of your hair. Like anytime I, I am out of words, I'm like, what color is Brie's hair today? It is colorful. <gasps> and it's so funny because like, I just find it funny how I finally have embraced this because you've known me for so many years, so many years. Yeah. I have been wanting to have like rainbow color. I actually want rainbow colored hair, but I don't have Mm -hmm. the guts yet. This is a giant step forward from what you used to know because I've been wanting to have colored hair like this since like, oh, I don't know, 2010. So yeah. Well, you've been in like jobs that don't allow that. Now that I, you work for No Guilt Mom, yes. you get to express your individuality. Uh, yes, very much so. Yes. I think it's, but isn't it kind of weird nowadays for almost any place to be no to unnatural hair color? I don't know. I think I think it's Parts. still very much a part of it. Like teachers, teachers are held to like those standards as well as like banking professionals or anyone like with a forward facing customer. Engineers, it would be looked downly on in the office. Like I think like Well, and that's what I'm, it's not Yeah. Maybe right. it's not rules, but it's those societal expectations of like what's appropriate behavior. And that's what I guess I'm getting at. It makes it so that if you see somebody with like all bright green hair, you're like, yeah. oh, they're not very professional. They're probably not very good at X, Y, Z other than being a hairdresser or an artist. And it's like, really? I don't know. That, really? That's, just, that's my own personal judgment in my head of what I think other people are thinking. So It's a bias. Yeah, it's a bias. I would say like, you rock that hair like no <laughs> one else. I say everyone who I'm around who meets you, like the first time they meet you, they're like, I love your hair, Brie. <laughs> it's very different. It's, happens. And it's funny. It's very different. And we talked about that on today's podcast a little bit. I, I've always been different. 
And I Mm -hmm. have learned to embrace it. And once I learned to embrace it, I felt like that kind of gave me like a little bit of of a superpower. Yeah. I think the whole embracing differences, which was a like, I think we need like a ding, ding, ding. Armchair expert has a ding, ding, ding thing, but I think you nailed that segue on the nose. So it's like segue award or something like that. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We need to make a segue award. Can we make it like a little, a little statue with a person on a segue? (laughs) Segue. Wrong segue. Oh, come on. It's a play on words. It's the the segu award. (laughs) I always wonder how to pronounce segue. Segu award. So I remember how to spell it. Um, But today we have Monica Berg and Monica Berg is an international speaker. She's a spiritual thought leader, and she's the author of Fear is Not an Option, Rethink Love, and her newest book we're talking about today, The Gift of Being Different. And she's also the host of the Spiritually Hungry podcast. She's a self-proclaimed change junkie, which I bring up immediately with her in this episode. And she shows individuals how to create a life that not only feels like it's working, but most importantly, a life in which they're living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person that they've always wanted to be. And I hope you enjoy our interview with Monica. You want mom life to be easier. That's our goal too. Our mission is to raise more self-sufficient and independent kids, and we're going to have fun doing it. We're going to help you delegate and step back. Each episode, we'll tackle strategies for positive discipline, making our kids more responsible, and making our lives better in the process. Welcome to the No Guilt Mom Podcast. Hey, Monica, it is great to have you here. In all of like my reading of you, every place I read about you, you describe yourself as a change junkie. And I bring this up because Brie is famous for don't move my cheese, Brie. Very <laughs> That's much what so. she says all the time. So I want to know about you being a change junkie first. Yeah, it's funny. I have a friend that I work out with and she's like, I'm a same junkie. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm not interested (laughs) in change. Well, it's interesting because my nature is not that way. I don't think anybody really loves change, especially change that feels forced. I had an epiphany many years ago. First, I discovered that the more flexible I became, the happier I was. So the previous me was very much a perfectionist, very type A. I still love my daily planner. I love having goals and intentions and writing things down and plans, but I've also trained myself to be equal parts flexible. So if something doesn't happen or it gets changed right away, my brain is already thinking, okay, so that's not an option anymore. What is? And it's very liberating. Mm -hmm. And I think that the epiphany was like everybody when change that wasn't expected, which is where we're naive because we're always changing and small ways every single day, but we don't look at life like that. Right. And then we suddenly notice this big change that we're not comfortable with. We're thinking, how did I end up here? How did I get here? How did this happen? Mm -hmm. So I started to think about, okay, well, if I know change happens, I'm responsible to direct my change and to choose how I want to change. And I really started to live in that way and then became addicted to it. That's so interesting. Was there like one moment in your life, which like made you realize that you have to change your thinking regarding change? Yeah, I think that I chose a life. My husband and I are very much on a spiritual path. We have been since we were young and we we run a big organization and you cannot do that successfully from a place of control. And I think also, you know, I had an eating disorder when I was 17. This idea of control was a theme for me my whole life. And the more that I tried to control things, again, more unhappy that I was. And also I wasn't getting the results I wanted. So I think it was just a series of big things happening that were so out of my control 
that forced me to really rethink coupled with, I really knew what kind of life I wanted to create for myself. And also that couldn't come from Mm -hmm. control. I think that's such an important message for moms, because especially in this realm of parenting, we look at a lot of things about control. Like how can we control the situation? How can we control it so that everyone's happy? How can we control it so it goes smoothly? And like, I see you nodding your head and you're like, no, you can't, you can't do it that way. Well, I have four kids at very different ages. My second child was born with Down syndrome. So, and I found out a few hours after he was born and I had so many different feelings, so many mixed feelings, but I had never felt so out of control. And that was after recovering from anorexia. That was after already I had set myself up to be able to handle a lot of different things and had a better relationship with myself and loved myself, but I could not change his diagnosis. I could not control my way through it. In fact, the day that he was born, they told me all the things that he'd never be actually, a a list of things he'd never become. And I had a choice. Yeah. It was actually the second day he was born because we were so young, my husband and I too, and the doctors thought we were foolish and not really understanding what they were saying. So the pediatrician brought in seven other doctors and sat us in a room and had a talking to with us. And I got up out of that room and I said, you don't know what you're talking about. So I made a choice that day that I had a a lifetime to discover all the gifts that he would have and what he would be able to do. And I stopped listening to anything in that way. And that was like, the again, most liberating thing. I completely became free and like just open to the possibility of who he could become and who I would become by being his mother. And it was a beautiful journey. And I, I'm not saying everybody has to go through such a difficulty, but usually it's the challenges that really kind of wake us up. Right. I love you. Yeah. It's the- you took that poem, a trip to Holland to heart. It is always the challenges that force us to change. And what I find amazing about your story is that you had that immediate reaction when they were telling you in the hospital about what your son couldn't do. Because I think that many people in that situation would have like been overcome with despair and listened to the doctors and taking it all in. And it's so cool that you switched it around like that. I'm curious, like, do you think there was like something that in your personality that made you switch it around like that since it was such kind of a different different way to see things? Yeah, I think that as a child, I always had the belief system that I didn't believe life was meant to be a life of suffering. So, mm-hmm. and even though when I went through difficulties, you know, I didn't hold myself in high regard when I had the eating disorder, but I, I understood that, right? And I knew that I had to get to a place where I didn't suffer and I didn't live that way. So then when I had Josh... I knew again that he's not meant to suffer. Certainly. I don't believe that that life is cruel. I don't believe that God is cruel. I believe that he has a life of purpose and meaning. And I believe that Mm -hmm. he is my son for a reason. So I had a lot of things I knew I believed, right? There was a lot of unknown and for sure I was anxious and I was afraid at first, but I knew that there was something great to discover in him and in mothering him. So I just wouldn't accept that. And more than that, when he had all this kind of therapy, he had so many different therapists, five different therapies a week. And you know, each one, he can't do this, or you shouldn't give him solid foods ever because he can't really chew his low muscle tone, his tongue, you know, he's unable. And I just said, I don't want to hear anything negative actually about Josh at all. If there's something that's dangerous for him, then you can inform me. But if not, I'm raising him like my other children. And I did. And he hit every milestone. And they're like, we don't understand it. He shouldn't be able to eat this. How did you get him to eat that? And I was like, well, he's able. I mean, you know, so I just didn't buy into it. And I think, again, 
that exercise, right? That, that whole training really set me up for my life, but also how I wanted to impact other people's lives. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Hey guys, Brie here. And let me tell you, April is a killer time of the year for me because it is crazy allergy season. I swear, everything that is in bloom looks fantastic and beautiful, but it makes it so I can't breathe. I am literally coughing, sneezing, rubbing my nose. I look like Rudolph half of the spring. It's terrible. But luckily for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies like I do, we live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can finally breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine is the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I absolutely love it. It is the only allergy medicine that works for me. So if you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just one quick Trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Hey, all, it is Joanne and Bree here. And we want to tell you about a podcast that you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Uturbe. And it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. And in this latest season of Understood Explains, it covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. We actually just listened to the episode, IEPs, Does My Child Need an IEP? And here is what we loved about it. I loved that it was so digestible. Like it was such a short episode and all of the topics, which could be really confusing to parents, were easily explained. And I loved how they gave great concrete examples because you know how much I love me a good example. They explained what kind of services and supports you could actually see on a child's IEP or individual education plan. And they explained those acronyms that nothing drives me more crazy than when there's acronyms and I don't get it. I don't know what it stands for. They took the time to explain everything in so much detail and to cover concerns that a lot of families have about special ed services. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains, or just click on the link in our show notes. That's incredible. And it really leads us into the book that you just wrote about the gift of being different with your daughter. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yes. So my youngest, Abigail, was diagnosed with dyslexia. And again, I think if we look back and honestly, for your listeners, I think such a fundamental, important understanding for people to have is that if you look at the totality of your life and you look at every hardship that's happened and everything that you have gone through and you've gone to the other side, ask yourself how you've been changed by that. Was it a positive way or was it a negative way? Because for sure you've been changed. And if you don't like how you've been changed, you can actually rethink that and change your your feelings about it now and have a different mentality. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with Josh, he helped me understand so many things that by the time Abigail is diagnosed, I was like, okay, this is, we've got this. This is not a big deal. We have information about her and now we can choose how we want to respond to it. At least we know what it is. So I remember, you know, in first grade, usually dyslexia is kind of discovered first, second grade. 
she was able to answer questions that other kids her age couldn't. Her critical thinking was off the charts, but she was struggling with putting sentences together and spelling and reading. And then by second grade, it was really obvious. And the teachers at first didn't know what she had because again, in so many levels, she was excelling, but in the basics, she was falling behind. So when we got her tested, we knew she had dyslexia. I thought to myself, how do I want to bring this to her attention? So I didn't tell her right away. I did my research. I got a book about dyslexia. I really wanted to understand how her brain worked. And then she beat me to the punch. She came to me one day. It was like a week or two after the diagnosis. My mother-in-law was on her deathbed. So it was. I was really wow. overwhelmed by a lot of other things, but she came to me and it's like one of those moments, like I just got out of the shower. I'm rushing to go to dinner. She's brushing her teeth, trying to get her to bed before I leave. And she's looking in the mirror and she looks at me through the mirror and she said, mommy, do I need so much help in school because I'm stupid? And I was like, mm-hmm. there is no way my child's going to live their life thinking that about themselves. And I was so grateful that she felt confident and safe enough to share that with me. Cause I remember thinking things about myself as a child that I would never share with my mom. You know, my mom was yeah. great, but it didn't feel like a safe space for me in that way. So we sat on the bed and we had this whole conversation. I told her her diagnosis. And then I told her that it's, it can be a gift and that it's a superpower, but I could see she didn't really believe me. So I pulled out that book I had been reading and I said, Abigail, tell me if this sounds like you. And I started reading these different characteristics of people who have dyslexia, how they learn, how they see the world. And her eyes started Mm -hmm. to light up. And she's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like me. And then I started giving her examples of famous people, notable people who have dyslexia, like Albert Einstein, Steven Spielberg. And I started talking about what they did. And she -hmm. was like, really? And then she was like, really? Then she believed me. And I thought in that moment, and it said in the margin, I had written Abigail to a T and she's like, what does that mean? I'm like, it's you. So in that moment, I saw how quickly we were able to reframe that for her. And that's kind of what gave birth to the book. I love so much about it. And I want to take it back a little bit to the beginning when she was in school and you describe in the book how, you know, she's in the blue reading group. And of course, blue is her favorite color, but then she realizes that it's the quote unquote, like lower reading group. And being a former teacher, like that hit me hard because I had the reading groups in my class too. And all the things that like we were told by the district of how we're supposed to treat each reading group and how we're supposed to work with each reading group. But I was wondering like, how, how was your experience with the school during that time and Abigail before you got that diagnosis? Like, did they support you? They did support her. I have to say, I really loved that school she went to. It was a dual curriculum. So there was a lot of movement in the classroom anyway. And there are many different levels, whether it was the secular study or the dual language curriculum. So mm-hmm. I don't think at first she really noticed it. And she admitted this to me, by the way, after we wrote the book or the first draft, she didn't tell me this part right away, but she was sitting, I think it was like a school, like a test that the whole grade took, right? Like some state test. And after the first hour, everybody finished and she didn't. And they moved from the back of the room. And in the second hour, she's still struggling. By the third hour, now the kids are like way on something else. A boy that was sitting in the back of the room, like stared at her and looked at her in a way that she really felt dumb. Right. And then she realized that she was very different. So while the school supported it, the issue for me, and, and it's interesting because a lot of the feedback I've gotten from teachers and parents is that this book has really helped talk about bullying and how to help that, right? Because the issue is this, you mm-hmm. can teach people 
to stand up to bullies and to understand their self-worth and speak up. But you need the whole class to stand up and help mm-hmm. support that child. One child against a bully. We yeah. all know how that feels. It's really, really difficult. I mean, even adults bully people these days. Yeah. And, you know, we all have had those experiences yeah. for different reasons and different ages. So it wasn't so much that the school didn't support. I just don't think there was a conversation with the children and in the classroom that needed to happen. And we actually went back to her school with our book. They invited us to do a reading to her grade. And I was so proud of her because think about like a full circle moment. I mean, not many of us get those. So she was able to go back as a fourth grader, as an author. And these kids were like in awe of her. She's signing their books, you know, they're talking, they're asking questions. But what was interesting is the moms, actually, their children went home and spoke to them. And the moms, a bunch of them emailed me and they said, I don't know if you remember me, you know, a lot of children left the third grade because of learning differences. And my daughter didn't know what a learning difference was. Nobody explained that. And now because of you and this book and Abigail explaining her story, she understands it and she has more empathy for that. And by the way, my daughter feels like she can talk about her superpower, which was like something with her stomach problems that she had. So it's that, I think that's what needs to happen more in homes and in classrooms. Yeah. I think the talking about it as a superpower and what you can do does need to happen because I know just from my experience that schools tend to look at the problems and try to fix the problems so that it's not a whole child learning experience, but rather like, okay, your child doesn't know how to pronounce like these phonemic patterns or whatever. Let's fix that Mm -hmm. versus like bringing the whole community in like you described and creating this culture of acceptance and this love of superpowers. And when I was reading your book, I noticed how Josh was in there and how his superpower is kindness. And I was like, first when I was reading, I'm like, oh, it's so awesome. They have a great sibling relationship. <laughs> like many, many parents have that like sibling, like, I don't know, anxiety or whatever, but just seeing kids having superpowers is something that I think more kids need. They need to know what they're good at versus what they're deficient at that they need to quote unquote fix. But also what where they feel deficient to understand that that's an indication of where their superpower is really hidden. Because if mm-hmm. you are able to understand the parts of yourself that make you feel different, then you can understand how to use that part of yourself. And then that can be your strength, right? So for mm-hmm. dyslexia, for Abigail, how did that become her superpower? She realized that she learns with pictures instead of words. So she sees things. So now she feels confident actually to start writing stories herself or writing songs. She's starting to notice that because she has to work harder, she has perseverance, right? She's starting Mm -hmm. to see all of these as actually great positives. And the issue is, is that we try to fit children into some kind of cookie cutter version of learning instead of saying, well, of course we're all different. The three of us on this talk right now, we're all different. It's, it's so silly for us to think that we all need to be the same, but again, that's the culture, right? We think that if people really see us as different, they're not going to want to talk to us. And that's very frightening as a child. No, it is. So what's one thing that you wish like parents who do have kids with neurodiversities and and learning differences, what do you want them to understand? Well, the first thing is they have to sort out how they feel about it before they speak to their child, right? True. If they have Mm -hmm. fear around it, the child's going to pick that up. If they're afraid of it, they're also going to be afraid to probably do the research that they need to do to see that there are many, many options. So first understand that everything's figure outable. You're getting information about your child. That's amazing then research every kind of option that there is and then decide what's the best fit for your child and their needs. But talk about it. So many times I get letters from parents and 
like one mother said, you know, I have three kids that have three different learning differences and they're older now that they realize that they're having extra help. They're having different services, but we've never talked about it. Should I? I said, by you not giving them voice to what they're feeling, of course, they're feeling different. Of course, they're noticing that they're different. By you not allowing that to be a conversation, it creates shame in the child. So Mm. I just think that it's really coming to this understanding that we are all different, some in very obvious ways, some in not, but nobody is the same. And most people are struggling in one way or another talk about it, discover it, find out what it is, and then make choices from there. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. I love that. And I think like when you mentioned the research, it's so important because if you are scared of it, of course, you're not going to look for these books. And if you hadn't looked for the books on dyslexia, you wouldn't have been able to show your daughter that list of things that people with dyslexia do better than everyone else. I know that there is a lot of shame and there is a lot of pain around like having like a neurodiverse household. So I I love that advice. And I know a lot of people in our No Guilt Mom community, I hope you take that advice and start your research and start talking about the things. What struggles do you hear other parents of kids with learning differences that like you wish other parents would understand? Like how should parents be raising their kids to treat other kids who have learning differences? That's a great question. Our next children's book, is we've written a series of 10, is called The Tale of Being Different, The, the Tale of the Other Glove. That would not be a good title. The, the Tale of the Other Glove, and it's about unhoused people and the power of empathy, right? So, and, and it's interesting because when we've gone on this book tour, we've spoken to thousands of children who've gone to schools in different states. And I often ask them, because they, they ask, you know, are you writing another book? And I tell them, and then I ask them, do you know what empathy is? And it's astounding. Usually three kids out of a group of 50 raise their hand. Three, right? Mm -hmm. So I Mm -hmm. think the first thing is for them to 
talk to their children that, again, this is what we just said. Everybody's different. Some people's differences are more obvious. And sometimes we're frightened by what we see because we might think it's contagious or we might think that if we talk to them, then other kids won't want us to talk to us. But to give them a view of what that child might be feeling and put them in that shoes, it starts in the house. You know, it really comes down to kindness and compassion and empathy. It does. And I know that like one more hurdle that people see is like this idea that you can't talk about it, that like it's somehow rude to bring something up or to go and like talk about differences or ask questions about differences. How do you recommend parents navigate that if like your child comes home and they're like, oh my gosh, like this person is in a a lower reading group. Do you recommend like educating them about dyslexia? Do you recommend, like, how do we talk to our kids about this? A thousand percent. I think that we can talk about, you know, there's many different ways that children learn and, and more and more teachers and educators and schools are understanding that. And they're offering different ways Mm -hmm. to teach children. And there's special schools that teach children different ways. And And more and more these days, right? We're hearing about it, but I think it's to say it has nothing to do with ability, right? And I don't use the word disability. I call it a learning difference. I know schools like to call it a disability because that's how you get funding, but I'm not going to re-educate the world about what a disability is because it has a very negative connotation. We think a child is enable, right? So I think it's about just changing those kinds of stigmas, having those conversations and to say that that child could be very, very, very bright but they just don't learn in the same way that you do. And give the example of dyslexia and others. But there are really good qualities about every child out there. For sure. I know we had we had a guest on a bit ago and her child does have a disability. And she says that the word disability is actually fine to describe her child who is noticeably different. But taking away that negative connotation of disability, like it's just a disability in one area. But what you're saying is just empowering the abilities as much as the disabilities, like recognizing disabilities, talking about them, like being different, but also showing the good one things about it. Yeah. Like being differently yeah. abled. I mean, even, you know, there's that famous drummer from, I think it was Death Leopard or Led Zeppelin band. I don't remember, but he was just coming to the height of his career and he was in a car accident. He was driving very fast, Death hit Leopard. a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he was wearing a seatbelt, but he got thrown in the windshield and it dismembered his arm. So oh. imagine he's like the beginning of the height. They're just mm-hmm. starting to take off. So you know what he did? He learned to play the drums with his feet and the one hand and he is still with the band. Yeah. So my point is, does he technically have a disability? Yes. But he took that and he rewired mm-hmm. his brain and learned how to play and he's exceptional. So I really want part of the message of this book to be that whatever, again, is harder for you, whatever is your clear limitation, there's gold somewhere in there. You're going to learn different things about mm-hmm. yourself. You're going to build strengths in other areas. And you can use that part of yourself to see things and do things that other people can. 100%. 100%. I think that's what we all want our kids yes. to do, to see what they have that is special about them and to be able to grow that and to be proud of it and to like take on everything that is them and to be proud of all of that. That's a goal I always have for my kids. Definitely. Yeah. And it's, and I always point out to Abigail when I notice that she does something I haven't seen my other kids do, like she was making Valentine's gifts for her grade, right? And they were all identical, but 
they had different things inside, but the outside package, they all look the same. And I said, Abigail, do you want to put a post-it and write whose name is, you know, we have to put the card on it. She's like, no, no, I know it. I'm like, you're sure you have eight here. And she's like, yeah. And she goes, she names each one. And I was like, wait, do that again. She did it like an hour later. She still did that. Her memorization, right? Like she just has learned to learn in a different Mm -hmm. way. And it's amazing. The brain rewires itself when it doesn't have one capability. It like strengthens others. And I find that endlessly fascinating. So you mentioned that your other book is coming up and you also have a Spanish edition launching of the current book, The Gift of Being Different. What else are you excited about? Yeah. I mean, I love writing. I public speak a lot, but I'm working. I've written two other books for adults. One is called Fear is Not an Option and the other one's called Rethink Love. The second book is already at the Illustrator. We're working on the third children's book and I'm working on another nonfiction book. That's awesome. That is very exciting. I'll plug that too. Why not? My husband oh, and yeah. I have plug, a, plug, plug away. a podcast called Spiritually Hungry as well that we do weekly. If you want to check yes. that out. I was listening to one of your episodes this morning about your conversation about parent books uh, and what they say. And I found that and I have things to talk about after we get off. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah. I hear a follow-up coming. So, <laughs> thank you so much, Monica, for joining us. And, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk more about these superpowers that we think like we have, because like all of us are different and all of us kind of push down aspects of ourselves that we sh- think should not come out in public. And I know right. a lot of the aspects of myself that should not come out in public come out when I am drinking. Like, when I, like <laughs> what do you, what do you think? I'm trying to think if I can't think of anything oh, that, that I, I see when you have had a few too many margaritas with along with me. Well, it's not even a few too many. It's okay. like half, half, okay. <laughs> half. As soon as I like have like maybe half a drink, I'm like, oh, everything's coming out. We're going to talk about everything, which I kind of do anyways, but I think it's more to that. I'm thinking in example, like concrete terms. We had Margarita Monday on Monday, which is this like thing that I hosted in my neighborhood, really out of kind of not out of character, something I've been wanting to do for a while, but something I've been really afraid to do because there's all of this, no one will come. And the then fear of rejection. What if, like, yeah. The fear of rejection. And then what if like, it's so awkward and nobody knows what to talk about and it's all on me, which I learned not a problem, but like, surprisingly, no, but I just noticed like things that I would not normally share. I shared everything. I shared all the dirt I had on every single neighbor involved. And I'm like, I should not say those things, Joanne. Okay. But- okay. I was good. That's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe what she's talking about is that when you drink, you share more than you do with the average bear, but I'm not the average bear. Yeah. Uh, no. You and I talk very freely about a lot of things that, oh, yeah. yeah. So I'm all like, okay, because yeah. I feel like when you drink, it's just normal Joanne. <laughs> Except for oh, maybe, oh, yeah. maybe you're slurred, but never as slurred as I am. Not <laughs> <laughs> too bad. I would say, people yeah. are to think that we're alcoholics. I swear we don't drink that much. No, I am so not an alcoholic that it takes half. It takes yeah. half for me to get to oh, this Oh, yes, stage. that is very, you are like, I'm a lightweight. Like I drink one and I am done and and you're half of one. So yeah. It's so funny because I think like we have this little like thing, like we we had this bumper sticker and I don't have it on my car anymore, but it was like first, first pickup line or then wine. Yep. First car line, then wine. And like, we talk about like, oh, like we're going to have a margarita by the pool. Honestly, like we're all talk. I drink maybe now because I really pay attention to what I eat and how much I take in once a week. 
maybe like one drink because it's so calorie laden. And it's like, those are calories I could use elsewhere that would actually fill me up. So (laughs) I've been making choices. Yeah. I'll say mine is related to getting older. Like I recently saw a Holderness video. Shout out to Holderness family. I'm coming for you, Kim and Penn. We're going to get you one of these days in the podcast. We're going to get you. We're going to get you. Please. You're going to have fun here. If anyone knows a Holderness family, they will have so much fun with us. I know. So much fun. (laughs) But they recently did a a video, though this would have come out probably in April, where Mm -hmm. they were talking about how like welcoming the the next generation, like the millennials to the Gen X club. Mm -hmm. And they're all like, you take a drink and it takes you three days to get off the hangover and all these other things. And I'm like, that's part of it. Like it's the calories and it's the, I have one drink and I feel it for like three days. It sucks. It's not fair. It's not fair. Do you drink a lot of water when you're drinking? You know how much water I drink. I drink it. But do you specifically drink it while you're drinking the alcohol? It depends. But I will, (laughs) I will tell you though, even, even when I do have some water, like I still have it, maybe not for three days, but I still have it Mm -hmm. for an extensively longer time than I ever have before. Mm. So it's, yeah. Yeah. But I digress. I loved Monica, like going back to her guests, like I loved Monica. I loved her book and talking about how she focuses on the positive. Like Mm -hmm. when I worked in early intervention, which is like part of the federal early intervention program for kids with disabilities or developmental delays under the age of three, that was the whole premise for how we did everything was that your job was to look at what the positives were and build on those positives. But I know Mm -hmm. that's not how life always works. It doesn't because also in the schools, the focus on testing has really made it so that people are trying to bring up those scores. So they concentrate on the things needed to bring up the scores instead of the things that kids do really, really well. Yeah. So this book is so great. It's such a relatable way to talk to kids about dyslexia yeah. and about superpowers that relate to any sort of perceived disability or real diagnosed disability. The podcast episode that I was mentioning in the conversation, it was with Stephanie and we'll have that podcast in the show notes for you so that you can hear just basically her interpretation of disability and how she likes that that term is used. Mm-hmm. That's a, a great thought provoking one as well. It's but good. until it's next good. time, remember the best mom is a happy mom. Take care of you. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for stopping by. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.